Amen. And Lord, now as we come to your word, we open our hearts to you now, Lord. You're so near this morning and you want to speak into each and every person's heart and life and situation and circumstance. So bless now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Just wanted to mention as well, I forgot to mention that our op shop is actually closing over the holiday period. So if you've been meaning to get to the op shop, Saturday the 12th of December is the last day. It's going to then close over the school holidays and we'll open again until the 30th of January. So don't miss out if you want to get in there before that. And church, we are so blessed to have Pastor Andrew come to share the Word with us this morning. So can you give him a really, really big welcome as he comes to share with us now. Excellent. Thanks, Nathan. And oh, how good it is to see such a crowd. I think last time I was here, there was uh, one person for four square metres and now it's down to two. And we're just gradually, God willing, just tracking back to normal. But so good to be with you this morning. Um, Also, just a big welcome to those online. One of the beauties of COVID is the online uh, developments of the ministries here at the church. And we are so glad you're joining us online and trust it. uh, You feel very welcome joining us and uh, really... uh, The first thing I wanted to say to everyone here this morning is you are deeply loved by God. No matter where you've come from today, no matter what your background, if you're online or here, wherever you are, I can tell you with all assurity that you are deeply loved by God, really deeply. Just, yeah, just wanted to say that right from the beginning. Uh, If you're new uh, to Bridgman and joining us this morning, we've been in a series in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we're drawing that to a close here today, and we're in the 12th chapter of this book. But before I go forward in the message, I wanted to share a little bit about the context of the relationship that Paul had with the Corinthian church. Um, Paul planted this church. He was there at the beginning. He knew these people intimately. And he planted this church and grew the church. And then he moved on in his ministry to plant and other churches and travel. And in that time, he continued to write letters back to them. Uh, he continued to ask for reports to see how they were going. He even visited again. Uh, he, he was deeply committed to this church. He loved them. But as you read the letter, you'll see that there was a bit of a strained relationship. There was tension in this relationship. Um, They were questioning who he was, his apostleship, his ministry, the many challenges in it. So it was a a loving relationship, but also a strained relationship. I was trying to think what it might be like, and the closest I could come to was a parental relationship with a child that is at a distance and quite wayward. Uh, The parents trying to love them, trying to encourage them, trying to support them, but there they are at a distance, and they're a little bit wayward. That's the context of this letter. And as we draw to the close of the letter, Paul is mentioning that he's coming to visit them and he's preparing them for that visit. And one would expect as Paul came to that visit that he would be so excited, so expectant to see them. Can you imagine it? Like like he's been at a distance. He's like, I can't wait to be with you. I can't wait to worship with you, to be in your presence, to talk face to face. We know that, right? Like just from the COVID season, it is so good to be together. But as we read this passage, we see that it's not excited expectation that's the the predominant emotion for Paul as he goes to visit them. Let's have a look at the passage in 2 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 14. He says, now I'm ready to visit you for the third time. And I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. 
So I will very gladly spend for you everything that I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I have been, not been a burden to you. Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men that I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you. I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did he not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin and debauchery in which they have indulged. And as we look at that passage, we see it's not eager expectancy, he's actually fearful to go. I'm afraid, he says, because I might find discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. He said, I'm afraid because I might find that people have not repented of impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they've indulged. He knows that when he goes there, there's, there's some things to work through. And at the heart of the issue in this letter and Paul's uh, interaction with them is his deep love for them and deep love for them to find the fullness of God, freedom in him, life in God for them. But as we look at a corporate level, Paul recognises the call for them as a church is far greater than what they are experiencing, what they are living out in this situation. Let me explain it this way. Um, I was a teacher, and now I guess I'm still teaching in some way as a pastor, but what I know is the power of a great visual aid. Um, if, if you've got a visual aid and it um, is a picture that reminds people of the message that, that, that you were teaching, that they can remember that, it is a very powerful thing. Uh, already this series, we've had um, visual aids. You might remember them. It'd be interesting to see what you associate with them. When Pastor Nathan spoke about reconciliation, you might remember he had this black wall that was like the, the, the barrier between us and God and then he turned it around with the cross and it was the cross that brought recon reconciliation. A few weeks later, um, Pastor Matt spoke and he brought his tent. Well, actually, I'm not sure if it was his tent. The way he spoke about camping, it might not have been his tent, but he brought a tent and that was there to remind us that this body we live in, it's just a tent. That God is making a home for us in heaven and to keep our eyes fixed on that and not become too attached to the tent that we live in now. And then Pastor Jody spoke and she had the chains. You might remember the chains around her neck. I had to pick them up later. They were quite heavy chains weighing her down and binding her. And that was illustrating, a visual illustration, uh, illustrating the, the, the weight of sin and the binding nature of sin a powerful visual illustration of the message that she was sharing in that instance. A great illustration will do that. But a bad illustration, no matter how elaborate, no matter how visually appealing or entertaining, if it is not aligned to that message, it will just bring confusion. 
You, you might even remember it, but like, what is the link to what you're saying? There's confusion in that. And as we look at this, Paul knows that as he looks at this Corinthian church, he knows that God's desire for them is that they would be a visual illustration of the good news of Jesus. That they would be a visual illustration of the character of God. And he's saying, what I see or hear, these reports, there's something so much more for you. Or the whole purpose of the church is that you would be a visual illustration to your community. And therefore, he knows humbly that as he goes to them, there might be some confrontation in challenging them to live out their full calling in this instance. So as, uh, as we look at this, uh, Bishop Neil, uh, Stephen Neal once wrote, he says this. He says, if the church is to speak with a clear voice to the world, it must make sure it is entitled to do so by its own quality as a society. What, what he's saying in this is, if we are to preach a message of love, therefore we must be a community that demonstrates that love. If we are gonna preach a message of reconciliation, we must be a community that is committed to reconciliation. If we're gonna preach a message of humility, then within us at the core of who we are must be sacrificial service, sacrificial love and serving of one another. And so Paul speaks to them and he says, firstly, calls them to say, as a church, Corinthians, you are called to be a visual aid that speaks of unity and reconciliation in your relationships, in the relationships amongst one another, with your community. Unity, reconciliation, that is what you're called to show. As we read there, it's, it's, it's not in discord, disharmony between people, disagreement, not in jealousy, resentment towards one another, not in fits of rage, not slander and malicious talk about one another, not in rumor and idle talk, no disorder. Paul says, no, this is not the way of the church. This is not the way of the people of Jesus. Have you ever been in a culture that portrays this, these behaviors, discord, jealousy, rage, gossip? Within it, there is so much hurt and pain. We, I think we live in a broken world. We've all had disagreements. We've all been part of it. We've all probably caused it. And when there is this, there is great hurt. Words are said that should never be said. And what we're left with is a heart, a lingering resentment or anger towards other people. And what happens is relationships become fractured. Relationships become severed. Slanderous remarks about others. Maybe some people have said it about us. Maybe we've even said slanderous things against others. It hurts. It ruins people's reputations. And Paul realizes that in the church, these relationships, this is not behavior that we are called to. It causes pain. And as we read this, we must recognize that Paul was on the end of this behavior from the Corinthians. Paul is not just saying this from the outside looking in. He's experiencing it from them. They're questioning, is he really a true apostle or are these other teachers the ones that we should follow? 
Paul's not as eloquent as these other speakers. They're questioning Paul's own motives. Here he is pouring his life out for them, but they're questioning his motives. They're saying he didn't take money from us. That's because he's skimming money from all the other offerings going to Jerusalem. There's slanderous things against Paul and his character. So you can imagine Paul relating to them with this hurt. How does he respond? Well, do you know, like at times where I've been hurt like that, do you know what my natural response is? And what I could imagine uh, Paul possibly thinking is, well, stuff them. <laughs> like, I mean, if they want to treat me like that, well, I'm not going to continue to invest in them. Why would I pour out my life? Why would I continue to serve them? Why would I reach out to them? Well, if they want their false teachers, let them have their false teachers. I've got plenty of other things to do. He could. He could act that way, but no, Paul doesn't. Paul prays for them. Paul reaches out to them. We see in Paul this heart of commitment to reconciliation. No matter the hurt, no matter the cost, he is committed to these people. He is committed to reaching out to them, committed to invest in them. He forgives them and reaches out to them. He pursues them. Does this remind you of anything? Is it not the character of God? The character of God to love people, to be committed to people, to be committed to you and I despite the fact we reject him, despite the fact we hurt him, despite our imperfections. We have a God who pursues us. He loves us. He wants to draw us to reconciliation. This is the character of God. And Paul is saying that behavior, that's not for us. It's not for the church. The church is to be a visual demonstration of their God, of their Savior, Jesus. And Paul even speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 12, where there has been an issue in the church and he guides the church. This is how you respond. This is how you deal with conflict. Let me read it there. It says about this man, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now, this is what you're to do. Now, instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Bring restoration, bring reconciliation. Another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. He says, forgive, reach out to him, restore this brother, reaffirm your love for him in this situation. And what I want to read there is the last verse in this little passage says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. What Paul is saying is don't just look at the human level of all of our relationships. Recognize that in our relationships there is a spiritual dimension. And there is an evil one that wants to bring dissension, wants to bring discord, wants to bring arguments, wants to bring hatred between different people. That's what he wants to do. And Paul is saying the way we respond is the way of Jesus. Forgive. Love even when it hurts. Reach out, pursue, because that is representing the character of God in that situation. That is the gospel preaching into that situation. 
Just recently, I heard this story of a, a Christian ministry, the meeting and gathering, and they had this visitor that would often come, and this visitor would often bring um, disorder, maybe just interject at the wrong time, just, just really making it hard for them. And, and they were burdened with this, that they wanted to love this person, wanted to reach out to them, show God's love. And there was a case uh, where it just came to a head or uh, there was in a, a meeting and one of the leaders just went to this person and said, well, can, can I just talk to you? And uh, this person was probably thinking, oh, here comes maybe judgment, maybe criticism. But this person came and said, I, j- I just got to ask for your forgiveness. Just got to ask for your forgiveness. Like some things I've said, maybe thought or, or the way I've thought or treated you is, is not, not right. Can, can you please forgive me? And in that moment, something broke. Something softened. Why? Because it wasn't the world's way of responding to it. It was God's way. It was the Christian way, the Jesus way of humility and forgiveness and grace and preferring others to ourselves. Is the church perfect? No. Will we have disagreements with Christian people or outside? Yes. But how do we respond? We respond in the way that Jesus has responded to us. We give grace. We seek him. God, help me to love this person as you love them. Help me to forgive them as I have forgiven them. Help us to work towards reconciliation just as you have reconciled us. And that preaches a powerful message to anyone who experiences it. You know, the church is not just a visual illustration. The church is a living organism. It's people. And there is a difference from watching a visual illustration and experiencing it. Let me just explain. If, if, if I can tell you that I love you, but if you come into a situation, circumstance where you're wondering if you're going to be accepted and I reach out to you and love you and welcome you and encourage you and listen to you, you've experienced love. Not just heard about it, you've experienced love. If you've ever been in a situation when, when you've hurt someone and you're just expecting their judgment and they say, no, no, I forgive you. It just changes a heart, doesn't it? It's like I've, I've not just heard about grace and forgiveness, I've experienced it. And Paul's saying this is what the church, this is who we're called to be. We don't just speak it, we live out the gospel in all our interactions and our relationship and that is transformational. Secondly, as we look at this passage, Paul says he's calling the Corinthians that you are called to be a visual illustration of sacrificial love. In that, in that verse 20, it says that uh, he's, he's afraid of finding selfish ambition and arrogance. And selfish ambition being a, seeking, a self-seeking that always looks out for one's own interests above the interests of others. And Paul says, no, we follow Jesus. We are called to be servants, called to lay down our lives and prefer others to ourselves. And one of the interesting things about this passage is that as Paul has related to them, you might have uh, heard it there, he, he has never been a burden to them, never taken money from them. And these false teachers, they have taken money from them. And they have been triumphant, they have been uh, victorious, they might be more eloquent, and Paul has been humble, Paul has been meek, Paul has been a servant. And what we have here is this distinct contrast in leadership styles and the Corinthians have somehow gravitated towards these false teachers and Paul says, no, 
I came to serve you. And you can see his heart in verse 17. It says, I will very gladly spend for you everything. I'll spend, even though he's been hurt, even though there's this tension, he will spend everything for them and I will expend myself as well. I will pour out my life for you. I will serve you. He says, if I love you more, will you love me less? Paul's saying, I've given my life for you. I wanna serve you. And this is the way of the church. This is what God calls us to because we have been loved in this way. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, Paul writes this, for Christ's love compels us. The reason we can do this is because we know the love of God and when we are filled and secure in that love, it compels us to serve others that they might experience something of this love. It says, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died. That call to follow Jesus, to lay down our life for God and to serve other people. He says the community of God is to be known for their love, known for their sacrificial love. One John puts it this way, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that, he might li- that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another as we know the unconditional love of God, as that fills our life through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, we are called then to share that love with one another. This should be one of the most loving communities. And I tell you, it is. I wanna say, this is one of the most loving communities I experience. I say that on behalf of me and my family. We are so thankful to be here, so thankful to be loved by this community. But it is special, don't ever take that for granted. People live in the world, they don't experience love and friendship and community like this. That is what we're called to be. And I've seen that so clearly over these last two weeks with the delivery of these 2,000 hampers. Church, that is so special. 2,000 hampers going out into our community as a gracious, loving gift to our community. And as I've prayed for those hampers, and many have, which has been awesome, but the one thing that I've constantly been reminded of, isn't this an amazing illustration or gift of coming from God's character? Do you know, many people, I don't think too many would have actually asked for that hamper. No one's really expecting it. It's an an unasked for gracious gift of love to everyone who's received it. Is that not God's character? Graciously pouring out his love and grace into people's lives. And I wanna say thank you, church. Thank you, church, for sacrificially giving to those hampers. $68,000 given to make that happen. Thank you for praying for those hampers. Thank you for, for, you know, packing those hampers. Hundreds of people here packing those hampers. Thank you for delivering those hampers. Sacrificial acts of love for our community that they might know something of the character of God. I had the immense privilege to go to Mitchelton State School where Jenny Nell is the chaplain at that school and we took 70 hampers there. 
And in talking to Jenny, she said, oh, I went to all of the teachers and I said, if there is anyone in your class that could uh, be blessed and encouraged by a hamper, let me know and we will get them a hamper. And she said, many teachers come back to me and say, well, what sort of criteria is on this? Like, do they have to be poor? or what, I mean, what is it? And she said, no. It's just, if they need it, they can be encouraged by it, just give it to them. And I thought, isn't that incredible? Not just to the 70 um, families that receive those hampers, but to those teachers, that there is a church community. There are people who want to love their community and give them a gracious gift. A gracious gift for them. What, what a revelation of God's love to them. I then went to deliver it to youth accommodation. And, and apparently, you know, we would, we'd been emailing them, wanting to get in contact, and it was hard. And, but, but Myra continued to pursue them, really wanted to give them these hampers. They hadn't responded to the emails. And there we are. We deliver these hampers, and they are blown away. Not asked for it. Here's a gift for every one of those youth that are living in those, that housing. On Thursday, we gave it to an Iraqi family we'd never met before, but they'd been in Australia for seven months. And here they, what were they ex- experiencing? Just this people that knock on my door and give me uh, a hamper and say, well, you're loved by God, and, and this is from Bridgman Baptist Church. This is a revelation of God's character to people. We can tell people about God's love, but we also show, we are visual demonstrations of God's love. And it's not just Hampers Church. You know, you read it in your newsletter. Up to $900,000 given away to others are over and above the budget this year. Incredible generosity and sacrificial giving from this church for other people. Praise God, that's it. It's bridge care teams that are going mowing lawns. It's the op shop, the cafe, Red Frogs, youth leaders leading on a front. So many things, hundreds, thousands of sacrificial acts of love that people might know that they are loved by God. On Friday, I was up here at a prayer meeting and we were praying for uh, one of the young girls in church has got a broken leg. We're praying for them. And as soon as we finished that prayer meeting, someone tapped me on the shoulder. What's their address? I want to cook them a meal. Like, who does that? That's the posture of those who are following Jesus, always ready to give, always ready to love. Church, this is our calling. This is what we get to live for, just to love people, to reach out to people, to continue to show people the love of God in our community. That's the posture we're called to take. And then finally, the third thing Paul desires for this this community is that they would be a community that speaks of purity. In verse 21, Paul says, I'm afraid that I might find impurity, sexual sin, debauchery in which they have indulged. Paul says, no, you know, you can be free, live a life free of sin. You can be set free from these addictions, free from these things by the power of Jesus in your life. And I love the posture here. Paul loves them so much, not just to leave them in that way of life, but he is, he is crying, he is praying, he is mourning over them. He's not looking forward to the conversation, but he wants to be a part of a community that loves them back to life. Is that not what the church community is? Jesus even said himself, didn't he? He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. That's the heart of the church. We're all broken people. We're all sinful people. 
that when we come to church, we come to be healed, we come to receive God's love, we come to receive life. And the church should be a place where all people are welcome. And that in that place, they are loved to fullness of life. Others have said the church is a hospital for the sick, not a museum for the saints. That's who we wanna be. Welcoming all people, loving all people, telling them of the love of God, that there's forgiveness and grace in Jesus. Living a pure life, living a changed life. Is that not all of our story? Jesus changes our hearts and allows us by his spirit to live a life of purity, helping us to do that. At a recent men shared, uh, one of our men shared his story of transformation and redemption. He'd grown up in a Christian family and uh, had received Jesus, but at the age of 15, um, God actually spoke to him clearly and said, do not touch alcohol. That was just a specific thing that God said to him. He knew that. However, later after being married and he had three kids, he first had his first drink of alcohol and what it led to was him jumping on a very slippery slope. Uh, He actually described it as putting a marble in a gutter on a, a road that had the slightest, slightest decline and said that marble would roll just slowly, slowly, slowly and gentle all the way to the sewer. And over the coming years, that's what happened for this man. Uh, alcohol led to another drug. Before too long, he was um, on ice. Um, three times in rehab, his marriage uh, sadly broke down in this stage. But he came to a point of recognition that it was only God who could rescue him. And through crying out to God, God rescued him and changed his heart. Caught in addiction, caught in chains, God came in and he said, God freed me. These are his words, God freed me. The chains fell off, he has healed my heart, he has taken away the attractions of my past. No matter where you're at today, maybe even some you feel broken, know the brokenness of the world, I wanna tell you, God loves you and God can free you. Experience Christian love. Experience the love of a community. Listen to the word of God and that he loves you and he can bring freedom. Interestingly, in this story, this man says that when he first came to church, feeling a bit awkward, wondering what the response would be, would it be accepted? Uh, Pastor Peter actually said to him, he said, just come. Just come and hang out with us. Just come and be part of this community. I haven't asked Pastor Peter what he meant by this, but I have a sneaking suspicion he knew through all of his experience that if this man would just continue to come, continue to listen to the truths of God and be in a community where he's loved, where he's, where he's accepted, where grace is extended, where forgiveness is extended, when he could experience the gospel through people in that community that he would be changed. And that's what happened. That's who we are, church. We are called to be that community. That people would experience the love of God, not just hear it, but experience the love of God. And this man said, God has redeemed me and he has brought me back to life, a life that I didn't deserve. God is good. He is so good. A journey from change to freedom. 
And church, I, I want to say to us that we have this call on our lives. And I want to say, as I did before, I experienced this in this community. I'm so thankful for this love in this community. I want to encourage us to continue to persevere in developing unity and reconciliation in our relationships. It's not easy, but continue. Continually, sacrificially love those around us, those within this body, those in our community. Continue to pursue a holy life by the power of the Spirit living in us. In this series, we've had those visual illustrations. We had Nathan's wall, the the crates. We had the tent. We had the chains that Jody mentioned. But in this message, we're, we're hearing that we are the visual illustration. We are the visual illustration of God's love for our community. As we go out into the community, we are showing people who God is. As hampers go out and they say, well, who is God? Well, he is a God that loves you and gives grace towards you. That is the call on our lives to be that visual illustration to our community. And church, I would love to pray for us that God in his grace and his mercy would help us be clearer and more and more powerful illustrations of his love into our community. Are we perfect? No, we're not perfect. Does God's spirit live in us and through us? Yes, it does. And may God continue to help us reach out to those around us that they would see us and see there's something of God in that person. There's something about that community. As people come, they would experience the love of God. Would you stand with me and pray? And we'll continue to worship. But even if you like as I pray, I wanna pray over us that God would help us be this visual illustration be the conduits of his love in our community. Even if you want, maybe just open up your hands and say, well, God, please use me. Please help me in my relationships. Please help me to sacrificially love. Please help me to live a life of purity. Well, living God, we firstly wanna thank you for who you are. Lord, all this is from you. It's by you, it's through you, it's for you. Lord, we wanna thank you for your unconditional love towards us. Thank you, God, that you pursued us. Thank you that you pour out your grace into our lives. Thank you for Jesus that's taken the penalty for our sin. Thank you that we can forgive because we are forgiven. Thank you that we can sacrificially love because we have a master who is sacrificially loved us and laid down his life for us. Thank you, God, that we can live a life with a changed heart, the Holy Spirit changing us, changing our desires. And Father, now we pray, Lord, by your grace and your mercy, that you would come and help us be that visual illustration of your love, of your good news to this community as we go into our families, as we go into our workplaces. As we go into our community, Lord, may people see not us, less of us and more of you, we pray. May they notice that there's something different about us, Lord, we pray, only because of you and your presence in our lives. Because God, our great desire, Lord, is that many people will experience this love. Many people will experience a changed heart, the new life that has been spoken about that none of us deserve, but is on offer from you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.
She's gonna continue to worship now and it's a song about God's reviving work and that's what we pray, isn't it? We pray that God would help us in sharing this message to the community that people would be awakened to this great love that God has for them. Let's continue in worship. That's our prayer as a church. That's the vision God has given us, that we would be a people that seek with all our heart, that He would come, He would come and awaken us as His people. He would awaken this city and beyond that, there would be a revival move of His Spirit. And we continue to pray into that and continue to believe that God is unfolding a mighty plan, but it begins, as we've heard this morning, this word, it begins here as we care and love one another and then demonstrate that love, that visual representation of the Gospel. I wanna finish with the whole theme of this series, the verses in 2 Corinthians 4, and it says these words, it says, For the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the Gospel. They can't see it. That displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as Your servants for Jesus' sake. That's who we are. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts individually and corporately as His people to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This is our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for this Word again to us today. Lord, thank You for the timing of this Word. As we come, just a moment to meet church meeting, Lord, continue to seek Your heart, continue to know, Lord, You're leading in direction for the future, Lord. And a reminder again, this is Your call for us, great God. This is the vision You have given to us to pray for a reviving move of Your Spirit. It is the only hope, Lord Jesus, the only hope is You coming, moving in great power, breaking chains, Lord, setting people free, Lord. We've heard the power of that this morning, testimony of that this morning, well, Lord, come. And Lord, it's true, we sung it, do it again, Lord. Come, as You have done before, come. We ask, Lord, we pray this with all of our hearts. We cry out to You, great God. And so bless each and every one, Lord, I pray that help us this very week to live as You've called us to live, to love as You've called us to, to love, I pray. We cannot do it on our own. We need Your help. So come and anoint us by Your Holy Spirit, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' Name. Everybody said, Amen. Please be seated. Just wanna say thanks so much for joining with us. For those online as well, particularly if you'd like prayer, I wanna encourage you to email through to prayer at bridgman.org.au. If you wanna know more about following Jesus, you can email through to us here as well or click on the Respond to Jesus button. If you're here in the auditorium as well and you'd like to know more, do come and talk to us. We'd love to pray for you today, but God bless you. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.